You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This is another Astros podcast. Justin Verlander on the mound for the Astros. Bottom of the first inning. No score in Detroit. Verlander 14-9, 248 strikeouts, second most in the AL. League batting 206 against Verlander, pitching as a visitor at Comerica Park for the first time in his career. Can provide a lot of that stuff. Curveball, strike three. Boy, he dropped another good one. Kristen Stewart goes down. That's four strikeouts now for Justin, and there's two away. And that is now for Verlander, 252 strikeouts this season, which moves him ahead of Garrett Cole, his teammate, by one. Mm. A couple of little leapfroggers, aren't they? Indeed. All right, it's 2-2. Two two. Here's the pitch, and he got him. Strike three. Chased one out of the zone. And that's 10 strikeouts now for Verlander, and that ends the seventh. We'll go to the eighth inning with the crowd on their feet cheering for Verlander. How about that? The Astros lead 3-2. to two. How about Justin Verlander tonight in his return to Comerica Park for the first time as a visitor? in an outstanding performance. Yeah, it was a pretty special evening for him. Ten strikeouts. 52nd career double-figure strikeout game for Verlander and his 10th double-figure strikeout game this year. The 10 double-figure strikeout games for Verlander is a career high. Well, welcome back to Astro Launch. I'm with A.J. Hinch, the manager of the Houston Astros, of course. And uh, a game yesterday, I wouldn't say it was sloppy, but it's kind of an ugly win. But uh, a win's a win right now, and you guys garnered your 90th <laughs> win of the season, and that's pretty darn good. Sure, they all count, and that wasn't the prettiest. It wasn't the right. most energetic. Um, but you start complaining about how you win, no. then you know it's gonna it's gonna lead you down a, a path of frustration. And and yesterday was a tough day for us to play. We get in at five o'clock in the morning, coming off of a really emotional series in Boston, and then and then to dial it back up. Um, you know, I was proud of our guys. I mean, you always think we could do better. There were a couple of double plays we didn't turn, uh, a couple of, of, of at-bats that we'd like to have back. But um, we'll keep working at that. But, you know, in the, at the end of the day, when you shake hands and you win a game, uh, it's our 90th right now with a couple of weeks left. Um, you know, it's all you ask out of your guys. And Verlander picks up his 15th, and there's a couple of emotional mm-hmm. moments that look like for him in, in – Understandably so, but uh, what were you most proud about with with Verlander? I love the way he finished his outing. You know, he was starting to wobble a little bit and gave up a couple hits. We didn't make a defensive play behind him. His pitch count's getting to 100, and he dialed it up to 97, 98 miles an hour to finish his outing with first and third in the in the seventh inning. You know, our bullpen's been pretty taxed, especially the guys that I use a lot, Presley and and Rondon and Osuna. Um, Colin McHugh. These guys have been pitched. They pitched a lot in Boston. So we needed him to go deep in the game. The way he finished his outing um, and kept us at 3-2, gave the hand of the ball to Presley and Osuna, and the next thing you know, he's walking out of there with a win. We're doing the games on the radio. We have the TV monitors up there, and we see the players pretty up close, uh, their facial expressions and things like that. Looks like Springer's a little uncomfortable with his thumb still. You have him out of the lineup today. What can you tell us about George? Well, I went into this series with him having today off, and then I also combined that with the with the look yesterday where he just looked a little uncomfortable. I think like anything, um, you know, when, when you feel a little uncomfortable, you take a funky swing. He had the one-hand swing. I know that he, 
he yeah. felt a little something. Combine those two things, you give him the day off, and hopefully he feels better. If he doesn't feel tomorrow, he can have tomorrow off. We have a team off day the next day. But in September right now, I mean, if I go around the room and they're brutally honest with me, they're all feeling it a little bit. Oh, so yeah. um, George in specific, uh, when that thumb flares up, um, it's, it's, it's certainly not going to get better pitch by pitch. I don't know if one day off helps him, but – um, you know, getting Tony Kemp back in the lineup, getting Josh Reddick in the lineup, sure. those are going to be key for us to, to face Zimmerman. And that's the thing. You guys have enough guys on the bench to cover things. You have great depth, and you feel comfortable with those guys in there. Yeah, I do. And, I, and I, I mean, obviously, I pushed Tyler White down to the seven hole today. So, I, I mean, that's how deep our lineup's that's getting, awesome. getting Gurriel back in the game. I gave him yesterday off. It's very likely that a primary player has tomorrow off, a guy like Altuve or Bregman or somebody leading into that off day because as much as, as you want to play these guys every single day and everyone says, oh, you have Thursday off, it's it's a grind right now in September. We also want to stay fresh so that we can make a, a strong push on the homestand. You guys visited Altuve out on the field yesterday. It looked like his right knee buckled. Uh, what can you tell <clears> us about his status? He's not going to hurt things anymore, right? No, he's not going to hurt himself anymore. It's it's just uncomfortable for him, and he's had he banged that knee, the same knee that he had issue with the last time. And he's trying to make a play and and, and didn't come up with it when he hit the ground. The ground's pretty hard. He felt a little jolt. But um, no injury, so to speak, as much as it's just – it hurts. It hurts when you bang your knee on the on the ground. So check with him. He stayed in the game, took a couple of bats. He was fine. He's in there today as a leadoff hitter. Get a pitcher out there today, Framber Valdez, who showed very well. <clears throat> very weak contact when Valdez is out there. Mm-hmm. A lot of late movement on all of his pitches. Yeah, it'll be key for us today to play good defense behind him. Okay. We, we didn't play clean defense yesterday, but Valdez, they're going to swing early. These guys, they swing a lot. And sometimes outside the strike zone, they create that soft contact. So... If Fromber's throwing the ball where he wants to in that late movement that he has, the good power breaking ball that he has, um, our infielders have to play a clean game for us to, to, to not give them any opportunities. Um, we, if, and Fromber's been good about doing that. He's, he's lived on the edge a little bit. He's gotten a ground ball double play here and there. He's gotten a punch out when he's needed it. Strikes are key for him. If they're swinging early, playing defense is going to be even bigger. A horrific day in American history. 2001. Where were you at that time? I was a player with the Royals, and we were playing a home game. Um, and and so I was in Kansas City, and ironically, I was living with a teammate, a former teammate of mine, Mike McFarland. Oh yeah. In his in Overland Park, Kansas, and he woke me up. Uh, my wife Erin had gone back to Phoenix. We were about to have a baby a couple weeks later, and so I was solo in Kansas City, except that I was staying with Mac. And and as soon as he woke me up and you're looking to say what's going on TV like and, a dream. yeah there's a, cra- there's a plane crash and then it and then there was another plane crash and then a third plane crash and then we realized our country was under attack yeah. when we got to the field that day um the enormity of the situation by then we knew was was going to stop our season which it did like kick and the pitch that's tapped weekly right side waiting on it gonzalez he has it takes it the first himself and that is the ball game the houston astros Win for the eighth time in their last nine games. Taking the first one in Detroit, beating the Tigers tonight by a final of 3-2. to two. Well, it wasn't always pretty, but they, they got done what they needed to, and they secured win number 90 of the season on Verlander's 15th. Only the second time in club history that the Astros have won 90 or more games in back-to-back years. Also did it in 1998 and 1999. Welcome back. Robert Ford joined by Dan Dickerson in his 19th year as the uh, radio broadcaster for the Detroit Tigers. And you got to see all of Justin Verlander's career with Detroit, his 13 seasons here, of course, getting traded to the Astros uh, last year. And pretty moving moments throughout 
uh, yesterday, pregame, Justin Verlander actually stopping to watch the tribute video to him on the scoreboard while coming in from his pregame warm-ups and then a, a few different standing ovations. This kind of shows how much uh, Verlander meant to the people here in Detroit. I was trying to picture it beforehand, and I knew it would be a warm reception. That even surprised me how warm it was. That moment of him walking in alone from the bullpen and then they play it, I thought he'd turn and look, and he was turning and looking, turning and looking, then he stopped to watch it. It was, what, maybe two minutes? I love that. I just thought that was so cool. He clearly was touched by it, even if he didn't show it. But then you could tell the huge ovation going into the dugout even before mm -hmm. the game, taking the mound, a huge ovation. And then when he came off after seven, everybody knew he was probably done. Another ovation. It just, I, I loved it. I loved every bit of it. And it did tell you how much he meant to. The, he was the face of this franchise with Miguel Cabrera for a long time. Second overall pick in the draft in 2004 in the big leagues the very next year and then was rookie of the year in 2006 his his first full big league season. Think back to when you first started hearing about Justin Verlander. At what point did you start to think, hey, this this guy maybe has a has a chance to be something special? Yeah, everybody raved about him. Remember in, in college, he did not necessarily dominate because he did not have good command. Mm -hmm. He had some things to work on with his mechanics. So we saw in that first, I think he made two starts in 2015, but that first start in Cleveland, nobody will ever forget it. I mean, he just pumped a 100-mile-an-hour fastball, first batter, shoulder high, and the guy just ripped it into center field for a <laughs> single. It's like, that won't work up here if that's all you do. And uh, I think that was a good moment for him to, to get a feel for major league pitching. But you... You just kept hearing about a guy who could throw 100, so of course you got excited. He wasn't a reliever. He was a starter. You know, we'd seen Matt Anderson throw 100 as a reliever. It was an easy 100 that everybody hit, and he yeah. never turned out. So you, you kind of got excited just that one little sneak preview, and then right from the start in, in 2006. And he wasn't a big strikeout pitcher that year, but the stuff was just so special. And But you just your admiration for him grew through the years. As he, I mean, he's a perfectionist. You've seen it. Don't look at him. Don't talk to him the day of its start. Mm -hmm. But in many ways, I mean, he's just he can be high maintenance. And I mean that in the best way, just because he is always striving for perfection. And that's why you, when you see last night, that guy looked pretty darn near what we saw at his peak. And he's 35 years old now, and he's still a power pitcher, and he's always working to get better. And I think that's what everybody always appreciated his years here. How much of a role did Jim Leland, his manager for most of his time in Detroit, play? Because I know Verlander has talked about Leland trusted him to, to go deep into games, especially early in his career, to throw a lot of pitches, to throw more innings than even some of the workhorses on other teams were throwing. Absolutely. And he, I remember very clearly in 2006, that was a pretty young team. Mm -hmm. And everybody kept asking, are you worried that, you know, you're going to the postseason and you got all these guys with the inexperience? He's like, that's, I mean, look at what they've done. I mean, yeah. he it just didn't, he felt like if you were ready to be in the big leagues like Zemayan Verlander, he just didn't care that you were a rookie and you hadn't been in the postseason before because you were good. And I think that's where it really helped those young guys. He just told them, hey, you're good. And I think he did guide them. And, you know, he always had that habit of talking to people every day. Not every player every day, but I think he tried to say something to every player almost every day. But I think there's no question he worked on the mental side and was huge for those guys because he did put a lot of trust in them. He, whether it was the postseason with Joel Zemeyer, whether it was Justin Verlander letting him go deep in the regular season, it was really, really impressive. I think he, he was a big part of their development. Now, you've been here 
for the last Tigers rebuild in the early 2000s and here for another Tigers rebuild. Obviously, the biggest difference this time around is you don't have to worry about some knuckleball pitcher named Steve Sparks, right? <laughs> we love having Sparky here. We loved it. He was the best. He is the best. And we love having him right back here sitting to my left for these games as he worked with you. So we loved having Steve Sparks here. I mean, the knuckleball to me is always fascinating. Those guys fascinate me. You know, the, the rebuild last time in, in that 2003, 4, 5, leading to 2006, it was a little bit different. You had some guys, I mean, you, you picked up a Carlos Guillen in the trade, and, and you picked up big free agents in Maglio and Pudge, and mm. that's not going to be the case. This is going to be much more building from within. And then I think once they come and form a core, then you add, because you always do, right? Have yeah. to add that key piece, whether it's in a trade or a free agent, to kind of solidify that group or the one thing that you might be missing. Um, and, and so I think it's going to be a different feel. And already, and that's what we're trying to figure out this year, the guys who are here right now, which ones might be a piece in the years ahead. And I think by the end of the year, you might have figured out four or five guys that you didn't, they're not top prospects. The Nico Goodrums, the Ronnie Rodriguez, are minor league free agents. But they look like they're nice pieces. Victor Alcantara looks like he could be a nice piece. Drew Verhagen has finally stepped up. He looks like he could. Be. So maybe you've figured out before the top prospects get here four or five pieces, and that's going to be, I think, critical going forward. But it's, it's still, you know, you've seen it. It takes, it takes time. I think there's at least two more years of, of putting the pieces together at the major league level. Dan Dickerson, longtime radio broadcaster for the Detroit Tigers. Thank you so much for joining us. Always good to see you. Always good to see you, Robert. Thanks. Robert Ford. Back at the wall. Looking up. Steve Sparks. These fans are ringside at one of the best boxing matches they'll ever see. The Houston Astros on your radio all summer long.